Father, we just want to meet with you tonight, Lord. We need to meet with you, Lord. As moms in this crazy world that we're living in, raising these kids, Lord, we just need to hear from you tonight, Lord. So we just pray that you would speak to us, Lord, that I could just step out of the way, Lord, and that you would just speak and that you would honor the teaching and the opening and the sharing of your word, Jesus. You promised that it would never return void, and we're just counting on that tonight, Jesus. I pray that you would encourage each one of us, Lord, exhort us, refresh us, Lord, um, correct us where we need it, Lord, and we just give you this time, Jesus, in your name. Amen. And I just want to say at the beginning that I feel completely ill-equipped and totally out of my comfort zone to be teaching a Bible study on parenting. I'm not an expert. I haven't figured it out. And as I look back into the 19 years that I've been a mom, I look back, obviously, and think of things that I could have done differently or better. So it took me a really long time um, when Kathy asked me to pray about it, to agree to do it. And I feel like I need to come to a study on parenting, not teach at one. But I'm here out of obedience to Jesus, and as I prayed about the study, God kept showing me that we need to just come together as moms, and we need to encourage each other. We need to look into each other's faces and say, I know what you're going through. You're not alone, and I don't have the answers, but God does. And we need to open his word together, and as moms, mine for his wisdom and truth. Parenting was hard enough before, but now it's gotten so much harder. And as adults, I think we struggle with navigating this time that we're living in. How are we supposed to raise our kids in it? But thankfully, God is still on the throne, and he's our rock and our strength, and through him we can do all things. Amen? So just a little background on me is that my husband Trevor and I have been married for 22 years, and we have three kids. Our daughter, our oldest daughter, just graduated high school last year, and she's working full-time. Our son is a senior in high school here at Calvary. And then our youngest daughter is homeschooled, and she's in eighth grade. So I feel like I'm in three totally different worlds. And I feel like I'm in the trenches of parenting right now. And let me tell you, launching young adult children into this world is not for the faint of heart. And as I'm sure most of you would agree, Parenting is the best and the worst at the same time. It's the hardest job I have done, but it's the greatest blessing that I wouldn't trade for the world. And I just came across some quotes. Let's see if you can relate to any of them about being a mom. I thought they were great. One says, I used to have functioning brain cells, but then I traded them in for children. <laughs> you know you're a mom when being in the car alone is exciting. <laughs> You're going to miss this someday, I tell myself, as I step on Legos all the way to the bathroom. Silence is golden. Unless you have kids, then silence is suspicious. <laughs> Parenting is one obstacle after another, but like literally, because no one ever puts anything away. And this is my favorite. No one in my house appreciates the fact that I stayed up all night overthinking for them. <laughs> and then the definition of a mom. One who sacrifices her body, her sleep, her social life, spending money, eating hot meals, peeing alone, patience, energy, and sanity for love. And as believers, like everything else in our lives, or our lives, being a mom is a calling, and it's an amazing gift to be given a child to raise. And as we submit to the Lord and seek him, he enables us. He equips us to do this impossible task. And I thought the book we are reading for the study, Parenting from Surviving to Thriving by Charles Swindoll was great. As I said, very practical, but filled with scripture and biblical insight for raising kids. And the book starts out 
with Proverbs 22.6, which says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And that's the verse that we'll be looking at tonight. But the book ends with Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 7, which says, And these words, which I command you today, you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the way. And that's a shorter paraphrase, but I liked what I liked about both verses is that they're bookends to Swindoll's book, but more importantly, they're foundational verses for us as parents. And they both mention these two small words, the way. There is a way for us to live and walk. There is a way for us to parent. There is a way for us to go. Our kids have a special way about them. And I want to explore this way a little bit tonight. So let's look at Proverbs 22.6, if you guys want to turn there. And it's real short, but it's packed with a lot of... Um, a lot to it. And it says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, this verse is a proverb. It's not a promise, although I wish it was. A proverb is a principle for living. It's not a guarantee. Raising kids is not an exact science. Our kids have the freedom of choice, just like all of us do. God doesn't force anyone to follow him. And we can't force our kids to follow him either. Our job is simply to train or teach our kids the right way. And then Guzik says, when a child is trained in the proper way, though he may depart for a season in principle, they will return and not depart from it. Only God knows a person's heart. And there is a promise in Isaiah 55:11 that does say, so shall, my, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So that's our promise. God's word doesn't return void. And in fact, it prospers and it multiplies where we send it. Now that's a promise we can hold on to. God blesses the instruction of his word. So I think that's the best training we can give our kids, teaching them what God says and then modeling it for them. And we need to know the word ourselves, obviously, and live by it and stand on it. It's been said that you can't pass on what you don't possess. And that's so true. Now, this word, these words train up. It comes from the Hebrew word hanaka, which means to dedicate or consecrate. Child, that comes from the Hebrew word nayar, which can be a little child, but it can also be a young man or woman of any age still living under a parent's roof or in the care of an authority figure. And the way he should go, the literal Hebrew is in accordance with his way. It says the way he should go, not the way I think he should go or the way that I want him to go. It's not really up to me which way he goes. And that really hit me because I'd never read the verse like that before. I would have said that, of course, I'm raising my kids in the way that they should go, God's way. And at times, that is certainly true. But other times, I can see how my thoughts and opinions, fears, or doubts are in the mix, and I parent or make choices based on that. Or maybe we parent based on how we were raised, or we have a set way of doing things in our home and our kids across the board without remembering that each child is unique and their needs are completely different from one another. I like what Sundal says in his book. He says, um, he puts this verse another way. He says, dedicate 
inaugurate, induce, make experienced and submissive the one you call son or daughter according to his or her way defined by each child's characteristic manner. And you don't have to be a parent very long to realize how different each kid is and that each have a certain bent towards certain things. And we know that God gives all of us different gifts, different talents and abilities. We all learn differently. And as moms, we got to get to know our kids and how God made them. And then we need to help our kids get to know themselves. One of my kids likes to cook and bake, and she's really, really good at it. And I remember Hannah asking me one day how I got her to be like that, or how did I get her to help like helping in the kitchen, because she wanted to start teaching her daughter how to bake. And I realized that I couldn't take any credit for her ability to cook because it was just there. She loves it. She's obviously good at it. And all we did was let her start doing her thing. And as she got older, we saw her ability emerging and we encouraged her in it and gave her as many opportunities as we could to develop that gift. Swindoll said that he is convinced that one major reason for rebellion among young men and women is that they have expectations put upon them that are unsuited for their way. Baking is my daughter's way. I'm not expecting her to become an amazing writer or an all-star athlete because those aren't her gifts. Those are gifts that my other two kids have. Recognizing their God-given gifts is huge because so often we see our kids as a reflection of ourselves, and that's simply not true. They are a reflection of their Heavenly Father. They belong to Him. They're not ours. We've been entrusted by God to raise them and to know Him, to raise them to know Him, and like that verse in Deuteronomy 6 says, to pass His word down to the next generation. And I think it's really important to note what this verse does not say. It doesn't say that we're to let our kids have their own way. You see that a lot, of, you see that a lot where kids are just running the show, calling the shots. They're allowed to do whatever they want, whenever they want. And Proverbs 29:15 says, The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Swindoll makes it clear that every child is like a bow. They come with a certain shape or bent that is natural to him or her. Another version of Proverbs 29:15 says that a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So left to himself, or in other words, left in the, condi- in the condition in which he was born, will result in an undisciplined person with no self-control. And the first part of that verse brings the balance. It says that the rod and the reproof give wisdom. So our kids need discipline, boundaries. They need to be taught right and wrong. And Hannah's going to talk more about discipline next month, but it's just part of the training process of raising kids. Kids left to themselves with no training or discipline will result in disaster. So we train our kids by not letting them have their own way in rebellion or disobedience. Proverbs 22:15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will remove it far from him. And to learn our kids' way or bent requires a lot of time and investment on our part, as I'm sure you guys know. In the book, Swindoll talks about David in chapters 5 and 6, and that his fatal flaw as a parent was that he was passive. And his kids were really, really messed up as a result of that. But the opposite of being passive is being active. So we need to be active and present in our marriages, with our kids, in our homes, and putting that as our main priority under our highest priority, which is our relationship with God. 
And Ronnie Lycon will be with us sharing more about that in Psalm 127.1, which says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And verse 3 of Psalm 127 says that children are a heritage from the Lord, a gift from him. So we need to build our homes and our families with that in mind, strong biblical foundation. And we have our kids with us for such a short time. I know that it seems like a long time when they're young, but trust me, it goes too fast, especially the older that they get. And you're never going to regret the time you spent with your kids and your family, but you might regret not spending enough time with them. And then I just want to look at Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7, if you guys want to turn there. And it says, and, the, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And I love these verses, and they're actually the verses the Lord gave me when, it made, when he made it clear to us that we were to homeschool our kids. They were to be with us in our house, when we would go out, whatever we were doing, we needed to be using it as an opportunity to teach our kids. So our kids, they need to be with us. We need to live our lives with them and in front of them and as an example to them. And thankfully, we'll be looking at these verses in a lot more detail at our last Bible study in May. But as we know, all that training takes time. If you look at the military and all the training that they go through, or an athlete that has to be investing a ton of time into training and practicing, or if you think about starting any new job, you need to be trained. And so much of parenting is sowing seeds day after day, year after year, and the fruit of the harvest comes later. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And many days I feel that weariness and I'm running on lots of chai and chocolate because I feel like I'm investing so much time and effort and I don't see a lot of fruit or much of a return for my investment. But parenting requires so much patience and a moment by moment dependence on God. And like that verse says, in due season we shall reap. And I came across this, um, this little quote. It's called, God's timing is always perfect. When the time was right, the sea parted, the wall fell down, the sun stood still, the lions went hungry, the waves became calm, the stone rolled away, the clouds parted, the Lord ascended, and when the time is right, the King of Kings will return, and God is always right on time with his plan for us and our kids because it's forever good. And I just like that reminder. And as I was preparing for this study, God kept showing me all these other verses that talk about the way. And I found them really insightful because the practical side of me says, what should this training look like? And of course, it's going to be different for each kid and each family, but there are definite foundations or basics that we can all and should all be doing. So number one, point them to Jesus. John 14:6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Number two, teach them the word. Psalm 119.9 says, How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to thy word. Number three, ask God to teach us and them. Psalm 86.11, Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Four, God will guide them. 
Psalm 37:23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. 5. Show them wisdom. Proverbs 4:11. I have taught thee in the way of wisdom. I have led thee in right paths. 6. Remind them that we all have a sin nature. Psalm 139:23 to 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Seven, follow the example of those who have gone before us. Jeremiah 6:16. 6, Thus says the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where is the good way and walk therein and ye shall find rest for your souls. And then eight, remember that God is in control. Isaiah 55, nine, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And those were just some verses. There's a bunch more you can look up. Um, But the Bible makes it clear that the way can mean a person's bent or way about them, who they are, their manner, their character. But the way can also mean which way to go, which path to take, wise or foolish, as we see throughout Proverbs and other places in the Bible. And really, we don't always know what our child's way or bent is. Sometimes it changes. Sometimes it's a bit of a puzzle. And I know for us right now, we don't know what our kids are supposed to be doing after high school. God needs to make that path clear to them. But what we can always do are the things on that list that we just went over. And that word should in this verse, train up a child in the way he should go. We need to point them to the Lord, his word, passing on who God is to the next generation. That's what we should do. That's what we need to do. And as I'm sure most of you would agree that it's easy to say that, but it's often hard to do. And I love this promise if you guys want to turn to Isaiah 58, 11. I'm going to read Isaiah 58, 11 to 14. And I was thinking about these verses in the, content, in the context of being a mom. And it's a promise that I often cling to when I'm feeling confused or weary or discouraged in raising my kids and training them. Um, Isaiah 58:11 says, "The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth. And I love that it says he will guide us continually and that we're to honor him, not doing our own ways or using our own words. And that's where I need to dwell, in God's word and resting on his promises. But there are days that I really struggle with that. I struggle a lot with mom guilt. And Swindoll says that guilt is an occupational hazard of parenting. And there's this book called Treasuring Christ When Your Hands Are Full by Gloria Furman. 
and it's an amazing book on being a mom. And she says, there are no perfect moms, we quip, but we'll die trying to prove that we might be the exception. And I wonder all the time, am I really training them in the way they should go? I don't know where I'm going myself half the time. Am I doing enough for my kids, my family? Am I making the right decisions? Am I being a good example to my kids of how to walk with Jesus? Am I a good mom? And the reality is that I fail every day because we're human and we make mistakes. I look back and I wish that I knew what I know now, then, and maybe I would have done things better or differently. And I'm sure every parent can say that. But I love what Swindoll says right in the beginning of his book. He says, I can assure you that your failures will not doom your children to a horrible future. God's grace superabounds where sin abounds. Your love will cover a multitude of mistakes. This overwhelming responsibility is not so overwhelming when you recognize that your children really belong to the Lord, and he will not fail you or them if you diligently and sincerely seek him. And one of the theme verses for my life is Philippians 3, 12 to 14. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of for me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And if we're always looking back at the past mistakes we've made, we'll never be able to move forward. And what good does it do to wallow in that guilt of the past? It only depresses us and makes us miserable. Yes, it's good to learn from our mistakes, but we don't need to dwell there. We need to let God cover our past with his grace and move forward and grow in that grace. And if we need to apologize to our kids, do that. Ask their forgiveness and move on. And I love the example of the prodigal son's father. And it's in chapter 7 of our book, and Mary Thompson's going to be sharing on that chapter in a few weeks. But the father is an awesome example to us. Even though his son left his home and went out into the world and experienced all that it had to offer, the father didn't wallow in guilt and regret or blame himself. He trusted his God. And one thing that God reminds me of often is that if I was the perfect parent to my kids— if I provided everything that they needed, if I was spiritually perfect, which is obviously impossible, if I didn't make any mistakes, what need would they have for God? How would they learn grace or forgiveness? And if God is sovereign, then even when I mess up, he can fix it. And I love what Gloria Furman says in her book, God's sovereign grace releases me from the worry that I'm doing a haphazard job of orchestrating my children's lives for them. The gospel reminds me that a mother's plans are not ultimate, but God's are. God is the one who has created these children, and he has far more intentional intentions to glorify himself through these kids than I could ever dream up. God made these children for himself, for his name's sake. He commands their destiny from before the foundations of the world. He knows the number of their days, and no part of their story surprises him. He's the God to whom we want to actively, daily entrust our children. The sovereign Lord of the universe deserves our faith-filled acknowledgement of his ownership of our kids. I love that. Our kids belong to, to him. 
He made them. He died for them. He redeemed them. He placed a specific calling on each one of their lives. And Psalm 139, 13 to 14 says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And Joanna is going to share more on that when she teaches. But the God who formed these kids created them with all of their idiosyncrasies and abilities and weaknesses and strengths, will give us everything that we need to train them and to raise them. He is completely familiar with the way that each one of us should go. He knows us better than he know, than we know ourselves, and the same is true for our kids. So we can rest in that. And I think that training our kids in the way they should go all boils down to this that we need to love God with all of our heart, like it says in Deuteronomy 6.5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then we need to instruct our kids in God's commands and ways, as it says further on in verses 6 and 7 of Deuteronomy 6. And as we live by the word and invest it into our children while walking as closely with Jesus as we can, that will be the best training that we can give our kids and then we just need to trust God with the outcome. And Swindoll summarizes Proverbs 22, 6 like this. Cultivate a thirst. Initiate a hunger. Create an appetite for spiritual things in the lives of children of any age. And do it in keeping with the way they are bent. Disciplining the disobedience and the evil while affirming and encouraging the good, the artistic, the beautiful. And as children begin to grow into adults, their paths will be aimed directly toward the Savior, and they will continue to walk in his sovereignty. And I just want to end by saying that, girls, you are a good mom because you serve a good father. You are enough because he is more than enough. You're going to make it because even when we're faithless, he remains faithful. And the God who entrusted you to raise his kids will cover you every day in his all-sufficient grace. And he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion.